This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with Steven Chopek. Steven has spent most of his career as a sideman drummer, most notably on multiple projects with Charlie Hunter and with John Mayer on the Room for Squares tour. But over that time, Stephen has steadily expanded his skill set and is putting out original music as a singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist. His new EP, Dweller, for which he did just about everything except the mastering, is out now. Stephen started out living in New Jersey and coming up on the New York scene, then spent seven years in Memphis and just recently moved to Atlanta. have some new patreon content up since a lot of us are doing a lot more tracking lately we're having some of our guests talk about a specific song they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of that recording process the latest edition is today's guest steven chopek talking about this track from his new ep also great content up there from don perry jim white and joe bergamini so check that out again that's patreon.com slash working drummer So this was the first interview I had done in person since before the pandemic. Steven and I are both vaxxed up, so I invited him over to my studio for a six-foot chat. It was great to finally do this in person again, and especially with Steven, who is a very sharp and engaged dude. So I think you'll dig it. Here we go with Steven Chopek. talking about the lower broadway thing in nashville and right. you mentioned that uh there are some some parallels between that and you know something like the beale street scene in yeah. memphis where you spent a lot of time or or uh bourbon street in new orleans yep just this constant rotating cast of <laughs> cover bands and yeah drummers doing the trench warfare down there did you do some of that in, in memphis i did i did some of the Beale Street gigs. Uh, there's a place called Music City, and then across the street from that is BB King's. Mm-hmm. And I did a couple gigs there with. I was playing pretty regularly with a with a an artist named John Paul Keith, and I played with him at uh, Music City a couple times and a couple other people. And it was great. It was it was fun to kind of get into that world. I know there's guys who are they're dedicated to that scene, right? And that's what they do. But it was nice to kind of get get a feel for that uh, get a feel for that world because it's definitely a big part of the, the Memphis community, Memphis music community. Right. Like, so were you able to sort of like dip a toe in that world and get some things out of it, and then you know make an exit without uh, <laughs> making yeah. it your life? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Which was a nice thing about it. And there's guys, like I said, there's guys who do that, and that's their full time thing. Um, and it's great. I kind of appreciated the 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 variety of being being able to be down there, being kind of kind of sample that world, yeah. and not kind of be be in it, uh, you know, full time. Right, right. Um, how long were you in Memphis total? I was in Memphis for six years. I was there from 2014 to 2020, and I moved down there beginning of 2014. But I wasn't there all that much in 2014. I was still playing. I'm from New Jersey, mm-hmm. and I was still playing 
at the time, uh, there was a band that I was playing with called The Everymen, and we had just released a record, so we were touring a bunch for that record in 2014. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until end of 2014, beginning of 2015, that I was really able to kind of be there. Once the, once the, once the touring cycle stopped for that record, for that Everymen record, I was able to be in Memphis full-time and take gigs and reach out to people, which I had done kind of before I got there. A, a good friend of mine, great drummer named George Slepik, who's actually from Memphis. Right. But he's been all over the place, actually. And when I, when I, he's lived all over the place and he's been all over the place. But when I first moved to Memphis, he was in LA at the time. He was playing with the Chris Robinson Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. But he had reached out. He had kind of given me a list of people to check out and he had kind of put the word out that I was coming to town. So he was a big help in me. Getting getting introduced to the community down there, right? So at, at that point in your career, like you had you you grew up in New Jersey, you yep. had been on the East Coast for your entire career up to that point. Yep. You had done the like the John Mayer thing, the Room for Squares tour, which we'll we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But so like, why did you move to Memphis? So I moved to Memphis because my my then girlfriend, uh, Abby, now wife, she had a job opportunity down there mm-hmm. she had gotten she, she was going to school she got her master's degree at nyu and she got a bloomberg bloomberg fellowship to to work in memphis with the city down there so she went down before i did and i was still i was living in jersey city at the time i'm from a town called rutherford uh which is a little west of that and i was living in jersey city for about about 15 years mm-hmm. and so she moved down there for a couple of years and we kind of thought about you know talked about what, so her her fellowship down there was going to be for a year, and then when the year was up, it turned out she they, then she was there she was there full time. Right. So then we spoke about what that would be if it was, we were going to do a long distance thing, or if she was going to come back up to you know come back up north. And it was pretty. It was kind of an obvious decision, I think, for both of us that that I would uh, that I would move to Memphis. Yeah. And I was ready. I mean, like you said, having grown up on the in in New Jersey and in and around the New York City music scene, it was great. I mean, it was a great place to be for, of course, to see music and to play gigs and sessions and studying with teachers. And it was a great place to be. But in my life and my career, I just felt that it was it was kind of time. I, I didn't I didn't leave. I mean, I was kind of nostalgic about leaving, but I wasn't kind of I didn't leave kind of kicking and screaming. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was ready to go. <laughs> Um, and it just, it just felt like the right, it just felt like the right move again, career wise, lifestyle wise. And it turned out to be great. Abby and I, we, we got married in Memphis a couple of years ago and career wise, it was just kind of a, it was kind of a rebirth, you know, it was, uh, it was like a career, you know, it was like a, just like a music kind of Renaissance for me. It was meeting new people and not just for the novelty of it. I mean, that was certainly part of it, <clears throat> meeting new people playing with different artists and, um, you know, making connections with people. Like I said, my friend George had connected me with people and realizing how I was connected to people that I didn't even know I was connected with. And Right. Um, I had kind of the same experience moving to Atlanta yeah. from, from L.A. because, like, I spent seven years in Kansas City and then five years in L.A. And, um, you know, during my, like, Kansas City was just all jazz all the time. Yep. And uh, during my time in L.A., I, I tried to break out of the jazz bubble, but I just wasn't equipped to do so in, in a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. So moving to Atlanta was, like, a chance to really consciously, like wipe the slate clean Clean slate yeah um and you know hold like hold my jazz cards close right you know (laughs) right just kind of be a little bit of a mystery to people and and see what i could get into and it it like 
I know what you mean about just kind of experiencing a, a renaissance in the kinds of music you play and the kinds of people you play with. Yeah. Um, not that what you were doing before was so terrible, but just, you know, getting to break out of it a little bit. Yeah. And it's great. It's kind of, I, I, I parallel to with me at least, you know, going on vacation and thinking that I don't need to go on vacation. I don't need to go on vacation. When you go on vacation you're like, I needed this, yeah. you know, <laughs> so moving, it was the same thing. You know, I didn't, I was certainly still active and working in, in, in and around New York and New Jersey in the Connecticut area. Um, and it was all good things. Moving to Memphis was, was, uh, it was just kind of, um, it was just opening, you know, it was kind of eye opening yeah. to what else is, you know, all the other things that are out there. And Memphis is certainly on the map, you know, it's at the same time, it's certainly not, LA or Nashville or New York. Right. And I I'd, I'd always thought that being a drummer and being the being the being a drummer and being a, a drummer for hire or a session musician or any of those, you know, any of those things, I always thought that there was just a couple places that I could live ever, you right. know. I'd either have to, you know, stay on the East Coast or move to LA or move to Nashville, which are all great places. I love those places. Yeah. But at the same time there was something kind of I in the back of my mind thinking that what if I don't want to live in one of those places, you know, is that where I, is the, are those the only places I can ever live in my, you know? Mm -hmm. So moving to Memphis was, uh, and again, it's, it's a city that's de definitely on the map. It's not, you know, an A-list music town. And the, the way that I would always kind of explain it to people who, who I was, um, who I, you know, musicians that I grew up with and was playing with on the East coast and, you know, kind of reporting back home and things. Um, everybody would ask about, you know, Nashville versus Memphis and, Memphis, you know, Nashville is definitely, you know, as LA and New York is, it's an industry town, you know, right. it's a music town and very much an industry town. Yeah. Whereas Memphis is, you know, currently it's a, it's a music town. It's an artist town. The music infrastructure certainly used to be there. Um, that changed a lot over the, over the years, but it's still, and it's, it's becoming, there's more studios coming up and things like that. Um, as well as the ones that have always been there, but the, the, the industry infrastructure isn't as as solid as some of the other um as some of the other big music cities in in the in the country right but it has its own musical identity oh absolutely and like like atlanta like kansas city yeah. like like seattle like austin or you know any number of these towns that yep. are not one of those big three industry towns yeah but like there is a music industry there there's a music identity and a music history um that feeds on itself yep. and and that a lot of people can make a living and play great music and tour and record and, and all that shit. I think the ceiling is, I used to think the talent ceiling was higher in a place like New York or LA. And I think in a place like that, like the bench is deeper uh -huh. for sure. Yeah. But like the cream of the crop talent in a place like here or Memphis or one of those second tier cities, I think is as good as the cream of the crop in LA or New York. There's oh. just a lot more of them in LA and New York. Yeah, and you hear a lot about you hear a lot more about those right. because they're in those places. And the other ceiling that exists is just sort of I think the scale of gig that you can achieve in, yeah. in terms of money, in terms of um, you know tour level. Right. You know, like I got a buddy who spent a long time as Katy Perry's keyboardist, mm -hmm. and like that's a gig that you can only get in LA. Exactly. Right. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, the yeah, outreach if, is a little further, is a lot further in those places because, like you said, tours are going out of there and or tour auditions and things, you know, they mainly happen out of those cities. Right, right. So, as far as Memphis's 
musical identity like how did it change your playing or did it it did and i think it changed my playing i play it, it changed my drumming in not being not being as precious about my playing being more involved in in the song or being more involved in the in the in the situation rather than it took the focus off my playing mm, yeah and got me more opened up my 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 head and my ears more to what was really going on and you know when your ears and your your, your mind are a little more open your hands just kind of follow yeah and to be able to kind of forget about your hands and just let them do what they kind of need to do mm-hmm I think is an ideal situation, particularly in in the kind of things that I was doing when I'm playing with songwriters or rock bands or things that are much more song centered. Right. Right. And there's definitely there's there's that just kind of swagger and that kind of grit in in Memphis. Yeah. You know, in uh, in 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 Detroit, in you know, in Motown, in in uh, in Detroit, or stack stuff in in Memphis. There's just that there's just that grit there that you ca- that you kind of have to be that you can hear and you can identify with no matter where you're listening to it. But just kind of being there, yeah, and seeing the places, you know, going to Royal Studios and seeing where Al Green um, recorded the, all those things, and and to uh, and to go to Sam Phillips or Son and to see where those things came out of, or stacks for that matter. Yeah, you just get much more of a direct, a direct input into wh- 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 how those things feel and why they feel like that. Yeah, I feel like uh, Atlanta and the music that I've played here since I moved here has made my playing um, simpler mm. and dirtier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it dirtied me up a yep. little bit because. I spent so long, like first in the jazz world, you know, um, just it like it, it put me in just sort of a, a tighter mentality yeah. for better or for worse. Um, and then LA, it, you know, I, I felt the need to like, uh, try to clean up or almost neuter my playing, like make it, um, I don't know, more kind of one size fits all or yeah. something. Make it more accessible, make it more, and not, not you know, whitewashes and the thing, but make right. it more just kind make of... it user-friendly. Yeah, like just yeah, kind yeah. of, you can plug it in anywhere. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, I got to Atlanta and, you know, the first thing I noticed about Atlanta, I don't know if you noticed the same thing about Memphis, but like, I saw a bunch of different guitarists when I got here, some jazz, some blues, some rock, whatever, but they're, they were all greasy. Like, no matter what, yeah. style no matter what genre they were playing like there's just tons of grease in all the guitar playing down here yep and also like with you know all the drummers i saw i was like jesus these guys are just like slipping and sliding yeah 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 uh so good so it, it definitely put me in a, in a mentality of like how can i just like you said sort of like turn your brain off let your hands do what they do uh, and I found that, you know, my hands want to do less, the less I'm thinking, the, the less my hands sort yeah. of are, are like, I got to do something. Yeah. But, but yeah, just putting yourself in that, like this, it's okay if it's dirty. <laughs> totally. Especially here. And I think it's, a, 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 a an especially, uh, Southern thing. Yeah. Again, you know, for me coming from, from, uh, from, from New Jersey and, and having spent some time in Memphis and that kind of culture shift, mm-hmm. you know, and picking up on that and. It was a good kind of intro into this world, into the into the you know into the lower the the lower parts of the the states. Yeah, I musically. I, I wonder if you agree with this. Like I, 
it's kind of a theory of mine that like that that dirtiness that greasiness um like just has its roots in folk music and a Mm. folk mentality whereas like in new york or la or even kansas city in the jazz scene yeah um like those are all sort of musical identities that are sort of post folk yeah right but especially in the south you know the musical traditions date back further than that yeah and the idea of just like a family playing together on the porch you know stereotypical as it may be like is is still in there somehow I think so, and I think just kind of movement-wise of the people and musicians from from the south up to the north, you know, from going uh, going uh, the the blues specifically, going from the south up to Chicago, and going up to the to the northern parts of the country, they came from here, right? And I think uh, I think those yeah those roots are still deep, and those roots are still kind of like tangible. to see some music the other night and i introduced you to my buddy jacob who's a great guitarist and he looked at you and he was like i know you why do i know you right like i know your face right and really without missing a beat you were like i played on the john mayer room for squares tour and he was like that's it that's right i've watched that a thousand times because he had asked me if if i had any connection to atlanta you know what what was my oh that's what it was yeah that was kind of because he had he asked me what my connection to atlanta was i was like i don't have one directly but right right so like i i misremembered it a little bit but like i i just wondered if like having played on that tour like just gets you sort of recognized by by people especially musicians yeah particularly musicians it was definitely a it definitely kind of put me on the map in in that in that sense um that that people were aware of me and aware of my playing yeah and it's only so I moved here to Atlanta in December of last year, and things being what they were, I wasn't really kind of you know I didn't really kind of hit the ground running here. Right. You know I've been kind of tentatively you know feeling out the situation, and now recently um, you and I having met at Buteco and then going out to to Blind Willies the other night, just kind of get starting to get out and, and to meet people. Mm-hmm. So those connections. So it'll be interesting to see what those uh, what that connection. It is in in Atlanta, you yeah, know? yeah. Because John Mayer, he's not he's not originally from Atlanta, but he's from Connecticut, and but he did spend time in Atlanta, and this is where he kind of broke out. So uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much that uh, Atlanta kind of holds him as their as as their own, maybe you know. Yeah, I I mean I think they do. Like I I don't think he's as celebrated as you know the Almond Brothers, right? Or something. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I, it's it's hard to get a read. Um, I don't know. Maybe guitarists could tell you better, but it's been hard for me to get a read on like, uh, you know how how heavily Atlanta claims John Mayer. Right. Like some people love John Mayer, some people don't. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Eddie's Attic certainly. <laughs> yeah. Certainly claims him. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as well, they should. Like rightfully so. Yeah. 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 Um. So like when when you did that tour. Mm. W- 
where were you in your career? Like, I assume you're still in Jersey. Yep. Um, but like, how did, was he still based in Atlanta when that tour happened? So he was in Atlanta and he had, so Room for Squares had come out. There was a, a, a what year was that record? Mm, 2001. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was a while back. Yeah, it was a while back. Yeah, this year, uh, yes, 20 years ago that that record came out. And it was, it it initially came out on a subsidiary of Sony, which was called Aware, Aware Records. Hmm. So it came out on Aware. And I think maybe, I, I don't know what the timeline was as to when it went from the smaller label to the bigger label. But I was playing with a guitar player named Charlie Hunter. Oh, yeah, Charlie. Yeah, yep. of course. From 2000 to 2002. He's, Charlie's originally from the Bay Area, from the mm-hmm. West Coast. And he moved, maybe it was in 2000, maybe it was 99, I'm not sure. He moved from California to New York City to Brooklyn. Right. And he was starting to play with a bunch of New York players. And one of the musicians that he linked up with was a drummer named Leon Parker. Yeah, who's who's got a he's got his own solo thing happening, and he came up uh, with Jackie Terrasson. Right, his French stuff pianist. with Jackie Terrasson is so great. It's I just recently in the move, you know, kind of <clears throat> excuse me, going through things, CDs and tapes, and um, had, took out some Jackie Terrasson CDs that I haven't heard in a while. And him on drums, Jackie on piano, Ugano Kegwo on bass. Yep, yep. Those guys just did this mind-bending stuff. And I mean, sure, they're, you know, they did some really kind of blistering tempos and, you know, their ballads are really beautiful, but they're kind of in between things. I've seen Ugana, the bass player, do solo things and like just the way they were able to speak to each other musically and rhythmically, just the way they place things mm-hmm. was really kind of wild, uh, you know, on, uh, in conjunction with Jackie's writing and his playing. Yeah. Years ago, I listened to the shit out of a Jackie Terrasson record. I think it was called Reach. Okay, yeah. And it was that trio. Yeah. Oh. Um, and it blew me away for many reasons, but, you know, chief among them was the fact that Leon played a 16-inch kick and a snare, usually with the snares off, yeah. and an 18-inch flat ride, mm-hmm. and that was it. That was it. Like, no hi-hat, <laughs> no nothing. Just the whole fucking record. And, and which eventually sometimes would would pare down to just a cymbal. Right. You know? Right. With a cymbal. Yeah. Uh, and, it, like, he that, that record, he was capable of doing, like, so little or so much. Yep. Just with, <laughs> with those three instruments, man. It was yeah. great. Amazing. And around the time... So I had become aware of Leon... Mm, above and below i think was his first solo record and somehow i had gotten that had gotten my attention maybe i saw it in in a in mag you know in jazz times or something about you know a drummer putting out his own record and that kind of sparked my interest and i listened to it and there was just something that resonated me resonated me and resonated with me about leon's playing just Mm -hmm. his minimalist approach and just the musicality of his playing you know up until that point most drum drummers who put out or that I was aware of drummers who put out their own solo thing. It's very drummy, you know? Yeah. Which is great. But Leon's thing kind of went, was went in the other direction of that for me. Mm-hmm. So I had become aware of Leon and then through Leon, uh, he, I, I found out about Charlie because they did a record together called duo, mm-hmm. just the two of them. Uh, one of Charlie's blue note rec- records on blue note. And, so I was studying, so I reached out to Leon. He was living in New York at the time in, in White Plains. And I, 
you know, maybe I got the address, you know, there's some sort of address or something on the CD and I sent him a letter and I, I, I had started recording things on my own. I had bought a four track not long before that and started, rec- and started recording my own things, musical ideas and little kind of drum compositions. So I sent that off to him along with a letter asking him if he was taking students. And this was post-college. I had graduated. I went to William Patterson in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to Leon and I started studying with him and spent about, and started studying with him. And then eventually it became kind of like a mentor mentee relationship and accompanied him on gigs and kind of tech for him and sometimes sat in on gigs that he was playing. And he did the duo record with Charlie. And then Charlie asked him to do the follow-up record to that. And Charlie and Leon had the idea of doing a kind of broken down percussion section for the for the rhythm section instead of having a drummer have a couple of drummers somebody playing a cymbal somebody playing a snare drum somebody playing some hand percussion somebody playing a floor tom as a bass mm-hmm. drum for the low end so we did that for charlie's record after duo it's just called it's just self-titled called charlie hunter and it was me and leon and another one of leon's students um robert parker i believe his name is and that's how I got to know Charlie. And then through that, Charlie was getting ready to tour for that record. So that turned into two years, uh, played on that record, and then played on Songs for the Analog Playground, which was his first kind of vocal record. Like most Def was on there, Norm wow. Jones and Kurt Elling. Yeah, and yeah. So I toured with Charlie for about two years. And so that was, we played a couple of residency shows at this place called No More in New York City. And I think John had come out to see one of those. John is a Charlie Hunter fan. Yeah. And Charlie, I believe, played on Continuum. I think they co-wrote a tune on on John's Continuum record. Uh-huh. So John came out to see one of the shows, and um, and he, you know he was he was a fan of Charlie, and he liked the show. And then also around that time, in Charlie's band, there was a percussion player named Chris Lovejoy. And Chris Lovejoy and I did a percussion record together called Brain Trust, hmm. which was just uh, I, um, the 20th anniversary of that, too. I kind of put out a, a reissue of that that's up online, um, Stephen Chopek, Chris Lovejoy, Brain Trust. And then that was kind of the early days of the internet. We had a website for that. And John Hot had, damn, got yeah. a website. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> and so one of those new websites. <laughs> and John had reached out to me on that website. He sent, sent, sent me an email saying that he was a fan of Charlie's and he saw us play here. And he was looking for, uh, you know, and he said, I'm a musician too. And I just came out with a record. I'm going to be touring. And um, I mean, he may have been looking for a drummer at that time, mm-hmm. a touring drummer. Yeah. Near Z played on Room for Squares. Um, I just saw him last weekend at the the Music City Drum Show in Memphis. Oh yeah, what a beast! Yeah, seriously, <laughs> he's another he's he's another New York guy, and then he's in Nashville now. He's mm-hmm. in Nashville, and he's been just you know untouchable, cr- yeah, untouchable <laughs> in Nashville. Um, so he played on Room for Squares. John was looking for a touring drummer, and at the time, I was really kind of in the middle of my of the Charlie gig, and it was going really well. And mm-hmm. John sent me his music, and it was great. Um, so, and I kind of got that feeling that obviously a lot of other people did. Like it was, I, you know, it was just kind of something special, you know, his, his, that, that, that record and his music. And, and at that point, like, was, was that record and, and John Mayer in general, was it kind of like on the rise, but not totally blown up yet? It was like just about to get on the rise. Yeah. You know, like I said, I think it just went from aware to like, to, to, you know, to to the Sony proper and Columbia. Um, 
And it was just about, and I think just everybody, you know, similar to how I, you know, what my reaction was to it and, you know, everybody kind of on his team and around him. I mean, I think it was just kind of, I mean, nothing is for sure, but I think everybody had a pretty good feeling about what was going to happen, where it was going to go. Right. So I gave him a couple recommendations for drummers of people to reach out to. Um, and then... So wait, you like, why didn't... So he, he kind of like hit you up. Yeah. And then... Instead of saying, like, did you get the impression that he just didn't want you? He wanted recommendations? Oh, I or think, like... you know, I forget the, 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 I, I don't know if he asked me or if I knew any, I think maybe he knew that, I mean, obviously he knew I was playing with Charlie. So I don't think he came out and like asked, you know, was like, you want to play drums with me? I right. Think it was so like, like he figured like you had your gig right. and what, okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So I gave him a couple names and, and that way, and, and, you know, thinking like, man, this would be a really fun gig mm-hmm. to do, to, to play, you know, it's like, it's great music, it's great player. And, you know, this would be like a really fun gig. But again, I was, you know, I was involved in the, in the Charlie thing and it was, you know, Charlie Hunter and, you know, some, some dude who m- me or most other people hadn't heard of yet. Right. So, right. and the Charlie thing was like rolling really strong and it was fun. And so fast forward a little bit and Charlie every couple of years or every couple and even more so now I mean he's always got his hands in a bunch of things yeah. and at the time he would have a steady, steady band for a while and then kind of switch it up so around the two year mark with that band he was getting kind of ready to move on and do the next thing and so I had reached out to a couple people you know just kind of as you do when when a, you know there's a change coming around you put the feelers out and mm-hmm. let people know that you're going to be available and because I was out of town a lot with, with Charlie. And as you know, as a drummer, it's like, you know, you got your home thing and you got your away thing. And yeah. when you're away, you have to let everybody know that you're back. And right. So I was in the process of doing that. And I reached out to John to let him know that I kind of figured he had, had found a drummer at that point. So let him know that if, if he hears of anybody needing a drummer, you know, let me know. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the back of my mind, fingers crossed, like, Maybe I can get to jump on this gig. Right, you know? right. And around it, it just kind of serendipitously worked that Matt Johnson was playing with him at the time, was touring with him. Yeah. The great Matt Johnson, St. Vincent, right. Jeff Buckley. We've interviewed him. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's great. My he's, partner interviewed him, but yeah. And was... he's a great dude, too. And um, I just recently watched, I, I think he did it a while ago, but the drum, you know, the Drumio series. Yeah. He did a great Drumio, and he's a, he's a great songwriter, and... Just an all-around good dude. So he was touring with John, and he was getting ready to 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 kind of depart from that tour. Mm-hmm. So I stepped in, and um, this was February. This is the beginning of two thousand two. So I met them. I, the The last thing I did with Charlie was a Japan about a week in Japan. It was really fun. It was a co bill with uh, at Blue Note clubs in Japan. Oh, cool! Tokyo, Osaka. It was Charlie, the Har- Charlie Hunter band and the John Schofield band. Jesus, was that with uh, Bill Stewart? No, that was with the. Um, uh, I forget the name of the record that he did. It was with Avi Bortnick on guitar, uh, Deitch. Uh, oh, Uber Jam. Uber Jam. It was Uber Jam. It was the Uber Jam. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesse was playing bass. <laughs> um, and it was fun. Uh, so that Japan tour, that was the beginning of 2002. And then I met up with John, did a couple dates, was on the road for a couple days while Matt was still playing drums mm-hmm. to kind of get a feel for the gig. And that was fun to be able to, um, you know, meet Matt. And, and you know, I used to play along with Grace. And, and, yeah. uh, and that was that. And so from 2002 to 2003, I was with John, you know, for a solid year for that Room for Squares tour. And that was really, you know, you asked earlier, kind of the, the launch phase. And that was 
when I joined, maybe just a couple days before that, they had done the video for No Such Thing, you know, like his first video. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it was, it was, I mean, the gig all around was fun for a number of reasons. And one of them being that to see that kind of ascent, you know, every leg of the tour was, uh, you know, bigger, you know, it's just kind of right. Bigger, so bigger, I was going to ask, like, as this tour went on, mm. like, did it just get bigger and like bigger venues, yeah. bigger crowds? Yeah, all of the above. Higher it, higher thread counts. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> bigger stages, bigger paychecks, bigger, you yeah. know, drums, all that stuff. Um so it was fun. It was great. It was it was great to be able to to play with him and to the, his band was amazing. Um Who else was in the band? David Labriere David Labriere was playing bass, mm-hmm. who's originally a New Orleans guy came up, you know, uh in Athens for a while and then was was also he um Sean Mullins, he was like a, in Atlanta, he was playing with Sean Mullins mm-hmm. for a while. And then, so him and John linked up in Atlanta. Uh, Matt Mangano was playing guitar. And now Matt's, Matt's playing bass. He's in the Zach Brown band. Oh, right. Okay. Matt left. And then uh, Michael Chavez was playing guitar. So, and that's another thing. It was just the four of us, you know, it was kind of like a, it was just like a rock, you know, right. four Two piece. guitars, bass and drums. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and it was fun. We did the we did the live recording. We did that any given Thursday, which was great to have that kind of bit, to have that like documented. You yeah. know, to have that kind of that 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 run that that band like documented. Right. Right. So like, did did that tour uh, serve as a launching point to other stuff, or did it just kind of end and you went back to the East Coast and resumed with Charlie? Like. Kind of both. I I had done. I mean, certainly, you know, the Charlie gig put me on 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 uh, on a lot of people's radar in in that world, and mm-hmm. then John's gig put me on on the radar in that world. So, I just kind of, you know, I was I was still living in in Jersey City at the time. You know, I was living in Jersey City in between tours. You know, all the while. Right. So I just kind of picked up on the on in on the New York thing. Um, did a summer tour with Mark Broussard that summer, and then played with Jesse Mallon, a great New York uh, City uh, songwriter, did a, did a couple runs with him in the U.S. and over in the U.K., and then did a couple years with a band, a great band out of Connecticut called uh, The Alternate Roots, mm-hmm. and then all the while doing sessions and things in, in, in New York and doing, you know, pickup gigs at right. the living room at the time and, um, you know, Mercury, all, you know, things all around in New York and doing sessions and things and yeah, a couple yeah. fly dates here and there. Sure. Um, so just kind of got into the at home session world. Right. Right. And so, and that period just sort of led up to your, to your Memphis move. Yeah. Yeah. That was, so that was, um, you know, I was in New York, uh, in New Jersey, in New York. I actually took a year off of drumming in 2008. I had just kind of gotten to a point. I just kind of felt I needed to, I felt like I was just kind of going in, just kind of going in circles. Yeah. You know, I felt like I was kind of on a, uh, you know, I just kind of got, got, got caught up in kind of a hamster wheel kind of thing with the, you know, with the, with the, with the gig world and, and kind of where I was personally. And yeah, just kind of felt the best thing to do was just kind of take a break. You know, I, I think a lot of us were there uh, pre pandemic and yeah. we all got forced to take a break. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was good. You know, looking back, it's good to, to it was, that break was good for a lot of reasons. And like you just mentioned, good to be able to know how to do that, how right. to take a break. So like, what did you do? 
So for that break, for that year, I did, there's an organization called AmeriCorps, which is similar to Peace Corps, mm-hmm. but it's like a domestic thing in the US. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was, um, I believe it got started maybe around um, in the early 90s, maybe the Clinton administration started it I up. think that rings a bell. Right? Yeah, it was one of, one of his sort of things. Yeah, initiatives yeah, that's yeah. still around and still going strong. So they partner volunteers with nonprofit organizations around the country mm-hmm. that focus on um, homelessness or, or food issues. Um, so I was working with an organization in New York City uh, doing hunger outreach uh, to, to communities in and around New York City. Mm-hmm. And it was great. It was something it was something that's it is something that's that's uh, that's a, that's an interest that's a concern of mine, and, yeah. and to be able to kind of do that on the ground and to again for a number of reasons it was a great it was a great cause and it was good to do because of what the what what the organization was doing yeah. and also to take a break it was just it was just healthy I mean I re- I mean it kind of sounds like an exaggeration but I don't think it is like I don't even think I touched a pair of drumsticks during that time wow. kind of consciously to be you know saying to myself like if i'm going to take a break you know yeah. i'm going to i'm going to really take a break and what a way to just like get outside of yourself yeah. and and your first world drumming problems totally uh. <laughs> totally and it wasn't like oh i'll i'll wor- i'll go work in a re- it was totally on it not just it wasn't just not drum related it was just not music related right. you know so you volunteered for this organization it was a volunteer situation and they provide kind of like a living wage okay you know they they like a stipend you right. know so you can so you can still survive yeah because, you're able to scrape by in new york there yeah exactly <laughs> i'm sure it's different for different places in the country but particularly for their new york volunteers you know right. they kind of needed to you know help them out which was great so i focused on so i was doing that and then focusing on on other things musically um uh, guitar, you know, guitar was something I'd always kind of messed around with. Yeah. So during that year, I kind of took time to make a daily, do a daily practice with that. Hmm. Um, took a couple lessons at some places near me and some, through some friends and started kind of, you know, got, got enough stuff together to be able to learn, you know, figure out some, some Bob Dylan songs and, right, right. and, and kind of worked on that and started messing around with writing my own songs. And, uh, it was good. It was, it was like a, it was a fruitful, Period. So that was that was kind of the beginning of um, like what um, has coalesced in in this music that you're releasing now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when like you, you take this year off, you're mm. volunteering, you're playing guitar, you're doing all this stuff. Like when you re-engage with the drums, yeah. What's different? It was rusty, you know, it was rusty, <laughs> <Sure>. of course, <laughs> and it was it got me kind of. I was able to start over but with you know kind of informed you know obviously i knew how to play and i knew how to like you know there are certain things that of course i had to get my hands back together and things and but having already done that in the past and knowing how to do that you know they with just kind of a general thing it's important to not what you learn but how you learn you know Mm -hmm. to like and it's not, you know, it's important to practice, but it's important to like know how to practice, you know, the difference between playing and practicing. So I knew how to, you know, I was able to kind of jumpstart myself back to where I needed to be and took out my books and my, you know, master studies and syncopation and and, right. and all those things right. and was able to sit, sit, sit with those. And, um, and then also, so that was so 2009, I also 
while I was, because like I said earlier, you know, when you're off the map and you turn down enough gigs, eventually people just kind of stop calling you. Right. You know? So while I was getting that stuff and back. By the way, like uh, that, that takes such balls, man. Like, especially in a place like New York yeah. to just like stop playing drums yeah. and stop taking gigs. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know that a whole lot of cats would do that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the, and it was difficult for me too. And I think that's just kind of a, it just kind of drives the point home at, at, at how much I like needed to take that break, yeah, you know, cause yeah. to do something like that. And like you said, in a place like that, it's gotta be weighing on you heavy enough to be like, you know, and it wasn't like, I'm going to take a break. And then a week later it was like, shit, I gotta get back into this. Right. You know, it was like, I'm going to do. And the other thing, having a commitment, you know, I was committed to something else. Right. Sure. So it wasn't like some wishy-washy thing that like after a couple months, you know. Right. So I just imagine all the musicians like, like sitting around like a bunch of mobsters. Like he's, he's out of the game. <laughs> he's out. Don't fuck with him. He's out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, they keep pulling me back right. in. <laughs> So uh, um, while I was kind of getting my, you know, getting myself back out there, I went to, I, I started doing some busking, you know, busking, which yeah, is yeah. like, you know, playing on in, in New York, it's busking mostly takes place in the subways. Right. So I would kind of switch on and off. Some days I would take a guitar down there, you know, an acoustic guitar down there. And then I also bought a cajon. For, specifically for that reason ah, uh, the participation box yeah exactly <laughs> which at the time i was like this is something i could just bring into the into the subway right, you know i yeah. don't have to bring a drum set i don't even have to bring two con or congo you know it's like yeah and i still have that cajon and i've used it obviously you know as, as you know i've used it on countless other things but at the time it was just something that i could kind of bring into the subway and you know attach some ankle bells sure. and have a little like one man jam thing right so that was great i mean that was fun to that's obviously something i'd always p seen people do mm -hmm. you know busking and it was fun to, to 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 actually do and to you know make some change and to um to be able to play and to be able to play for just hours at a time, you know, hopefully you're not, you don't, you don't get asked to kind of move along right. by the authorities, but to just be able to play and um, just kind of work stuff out. Obviously the, the audience turnover is really high in the subway. Sure, sure. So you can just kind of do stuff over and over again. <laughs> right, right. So that was fun. That was, that was great. So that was how I got myself kind of re-engaged in, um, in the world musically. Yeah. And as far as drumming was concerned, like, it it doesn't sound like that time off uh, resulted in you know a, a hard left turn or a new direction in your drumming. It was just like you kind of reengaged with it and got it got excited all over again about you know oh these books and that record and yeah. oh this thing and is that yeah yeah totally yeah I was able to kind of pick up where I left off but also come to it with a kind of a, a fresh perspective right and right. a and a new appreciation of it. The prospect of moving to Atlanta arose. Mm. Uh, 
um, what like what did you know about Atlanta, and what was your sort of first initial reaction? What I knew about Atlanta was I'd been here a couple times on gigs and playing in different places at uh, with different people, playing at Smiths or playing at Vinyl mm-hmm. or at the Fox or at Centennial uh, at Centennial Park. You know, different size gigs or, or even you know like 509 or 529 which the, yeah, the, 529. yeah 529 mm-hmm. um you, you know drumming with other people or doing my own solo stuff at like uh java monkey or doing the open mic thing at eddie's attic or something man you you know all the spots already yeah <laughs> yeah so i was aware of all those spots um and that was just about it you know as being you know as a touring drummer you know as a touring musician you kind of know a little bit about each city mm-hmm. so i knew n- known a little bit of of atlanta but n- not really knowing as many people here you know i kn- i knew a couple people here right and i knew that it was going to be a different situation than when i moved to memphis i mean when i moved to memphis i was able to you know other than you know not being there for that first year but just kind of hit the ground running, going out to venues and meeting people and sitting in on gigs, right. which was not the case at the beginning of this year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I kind of focused that time on just kind of, you know, getting set up at home. We found, uh, we found a place in, in Candler Park. And so uh, putting a, I had a home studio together in Memphis, which is where I rec- recorded this new EP. And so I kind of assembled a new studio in, in, in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really know much about Atlanta at all. I knew obviously it was a bigger city than, than, than Memphis. And there was a different focus musically here or more of a, maybe more of a variety, obviously more players here in Atlanta than in Memphis. And, you know, I knew kind of that it wasn't going to be like Memphis part two. Like I'll just come and get, you know, instantly acclimated into the city, you know, (laughs) again, for a number of reasons, I knew it wasn't going to be like that. So I kind of. Um, I just kind of put my head down and, and, and focused on some things that I was able to, was able to control, you know? Right. So that meant like finishing this last EP, yep. getting that done. And we'll talk about that yep. for sure. Um, but like, so now that things are hopefully opening up, mm. hopefully they're not like opening up and then closing again. Yeah. Um, but like, do you, do you have, um, sort of a, a game plan or any goals or ambitions ab- about, um, the Atlanta scene specifically, what you can do here, you know, what, what you can bring to it, what it can do for you. Yeah. Um, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm kind of feeling it out as I go mm-hmm. because I know again, being kind of a, the new guy in town, it's, um, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a process of, yeah. of getting to meet, you know, for example, I, I, I had met you through, through our mutual friend, Mark Stepro. Yeah. Um, shout out to Mark. Shout out to Mark. Thank who, you for, he, like, he hooked us up. Yeah. He, like, he hooked he up you and I. And he was, yep. And shortly before that, I had listened to his, his, uh, episode on your podcast, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, and a double shout out, shout out to Mark. Uh, he's done it again. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Memphis, he reminded me, or he told me, <clears throat> excuse me, that a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mike Doty, who's a singer-songwriter. And I love Mike Doty. Yeah, That's a mutual friend of yours? Yeah. Holy well, shit. Because Mike, I had, of course, <clears throat> I was uh, a fan of, of uh, Soul Coughing yeah. back in the day. Um, and when I was touring with... 
when I was touring with John Mayer, Mike Doty had recently started his solo thing, uh-huh. and he was on, or he was about to put his first record out, record out on ATO Records, who which was being run at the time, maybe still now, by John's Mayer at the time, John's John Mayer's manager at the time, yeah, Michael McDonald, the other Michael McDonald, <laughs> right, not the. <laughs> not the Michael McDonald. Yeah. The other the Michael McDonald. Yeah. That guy uh, is not going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Mike, so I met Mike. He opened up some shows for John, which was a big trip for me because I was a, 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 a soul coughing fan. And so we met and Mike and I kept in touch. And around the time that, right around the time that Mike's uh, first record came out, he was putting together a band for for his tour mm-hmm. and reaching out to some drummers. I I auditioned for Mike at the time, didn't work out, um, but we kept in touch. He and I have some you know some other mutual friends. Mm-hmm. And so when I moved to Memphis, um, Mark Steepro said, "Oh, Mike Doty also recently moved to Memphis." Yeah, which which I didn't know about, and just kind of coincidentally, he and I kind of both moved there around the same time. Uh, Is he still there? He's still there. I, th- sure. I think now, actually, if 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 social media is you know uh, leads me to believe that he was in Italy, he may still be there. You know, kind of vacationing over there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he moved there. Uh, he moved to Memphis, and and he and I linked up out there, and we kind of reconnected. It had been it had been a couple a number of years since we since we been in touch. So we did a bunch of gigs out uh, in Memphis. You know, some like improv gigs and uh-huh. a couple of recording sessions and. Um, the last tour that I did was with him in the beginning of 2020, beginning of 2020 in February. I did a couple weeks with him, uh, tour wise. And, you know, when we came back from that, everything kind of shut down with with Mike, with Mike Doty. Cool. Yeah. Mike Doty and Andrew Livingston was playing bass. It was a trio gig. We actually opened up for ourselves as baby men, (laughs) which was like an improv trio. We were in jumpsuits and ski masks. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) We opened up for ourselves and then did like a set of Mike Doty tunes. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. So Mark, Mark Stepro hooked me up with uh, with Mike Doty out there and then hooked me up with you guys here. Um, so yeah, Mark Stepro. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so my, 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 my plan for Atlanta is um, as you and I did, kind of going out and meeting people and... Uh, Going to shows and just kind of just kind of enjoying the 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 kind of the the newness the 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 discovery of the city and mm-hmm. the and the and the scene. Another great drummer who's in town who I met a number of years ago when I was playing with with Charlie, uh, a drummer named Terion Gully. Yeah, Tank they call him. He calls yeah. himself crazy. Yeah, crazy good drummer, great dude. Um, he's also here. He and I connected a little while ago, mm-hmm. and um, people from Memphis, you know, know know some people here in Atlanta. So I've just been kind of. Um, virtually initially making introductions and, and, and meeting people that way. And just kind of now that I'm able to go out, go out and and meeting people and seeing shows and things. And I know there's, there's, um, there's a ton of great players here. There's the, um, you know, there's a ton of, of, of great, uh, songwriters and bands and artists and, um, and different genres. And there's also kind of the, uh, um, event corporate band thing is really strong here sure, yeah met a couple of people in that world so see see where that goes and yep. um and there's you know there's uh there's 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 a bunch of uh bunch of things to dip into yeah i mean i i'm i'm glad to hear you say that because you know i moved here six years ago and and my impression of it was that you know there's there's a lot going on and there's not too many musicians like there's there's a lot of musicians but it's not saturated yeah like there's work 
for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, right. uh, I, f- I feel like that's still the case. Um, and it's interesting to come to, to be in places and to kind of have a, you know, a preconceived thing like moving to Atlanta. It's like, okay, there's, uh, there's, um, you know, the hip hop, everybody's like, oh yeah, Atlanta hip hop and the music and movie world. And right. which, you know, those things are definitely strong here. Mm-hmm. But as I'm finding out quickly, there's also a ton of other stuff here. Obviously, you know, the blues thing is blues scene is strong here, and yeah. and the southern, you know, the roots thing, and 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 uh, songwriter thing similar to Memphis. Um, you know, being aware, of course, before I moved there, being aware of the history of Memphis, of Stax and Sun, and and all all that music. But then moving to Memphis and and you know all the kind of diverse things that I did there I was playing with a bunch of great songwriters and a really great rock band called Red Squad and even I was playing with a, with an Afropop band there oh, cool. called the Bruni yeah. which was fun so it's not until you get to a place that you really figure out all that's really happening and there's usually a lot more than you think there is yeah yeah and uh, another thing that's kind of like for better or for worse but i think there's a pretty strong uh tribute band market yep <laughs> here um and some of them are great and some of them i you know, don't want that gig but <laughs> right, 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 right. But they're there yeah, and those there. you know and those 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 there's 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 great players who do those things yeah. i mean you know and the bands that do those well do them like really well mm-hmm. you know yeah so that's uh you know that's um that's one of the things that are uh that are definitely worth um keeping uh keeping open to yeah for sure for sure it's funny like i was talking with my friend the 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 guy who plays keyboards with katie perry is ty bailey um and he's here he's in in la right he's in nashville now okay he just moved there a few months ago but he was in la before that and i saw him in nashville last week and um, he was talking about how, like, in his move to Nashville, he has a very clear idea of the kind of music he wants to play mm-hmm. and the kind of stuff he wants to do, and he's being fairly selective, um, even though he's kind of new in town. Um, and he said, uh, you know, when I moved to L.A., I was just like, let's – because he moved from Seattle. Okay. Um, and he moved down to L.A., and he was like, let's just see what L.A. needs me to be. Yeah. <laughs> and I had really – He let it – for inform him yeah, yeah like i hadn't really heard it put that way before but he just kind of went down there and um was like i said before kind of mysterious didn't show too many cards yeah. and just let people sort of assume certain things about him and see where that took him and and <laughs> that's fun yeah um and it's like it's you know it's it's a cool way to kind of and it approach, worked out it did it definitely worked yeah. out um but it's a cool way to approach a new scene um you know, as opposed to, I think you and I are in the same sort of headspace now about like, um, well, you're probably in a more open headspace than I am. I'm more like Ty now. Like I want to be selective. I'm, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, just those sort of those two ways of approaching a new city or a new scene. It's like either I know what I want to do here yeah. and I'm going to say no to everything else or let's, let's see what they throw me into. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. I think those, those kinds of, those kind of situations or being open to those things obviously it's going to take you places that you didn't plan on right and things that you couldn't have thought of yourself Stars 
have kind of a calling card now with this record. This just came out like four days ago or something, right? This EP? Yeah, the EP came out on August 6th, came out on Friday, August 6th. And it's called Dweller. And it's six songs that I recorded in Memphis. Mm-hmm. So when I got back from that Mike Doty tour in February of last year, and all these things, you know, everything kind of started to shut down. Um, and I've heard other other musicians, other artists kind of um, put it in different ways. Somebody put it pretty succinctly and like, you know, hey, artists, now we have that time. Mm-hmm. You know, now we have that time. Yeah. Um, that, you know, as a, as, a, as a working musician, you're always kind of running around, you know, you're doing gigs, you're doing sessions, you're preparing for gigs, you're learning tunes or, you know, all those things. And you, you, you have your own thing going on that maybe takes a little bit of a backseat or... Right. So I kind of thought that or, this is it, you know, this is some sort of hopefully it's a once in a lifetime opportunity where it's not that that um, that I don't want to do things. It's like I can't, you know, mm-hmm. I can't I can't play those gigs. You know, those gigs aren't happening. Those tours aren't happening. Yeah. And also being aware that it wasn't, you know, for as kind of um, unsettling as it was as to why it was happening, Mm -hmm. there was also, I was, I was also able to kind of look on that bright side of being, okay, now I could double, triple, quadruple down on this other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, of course, at the same time, keeping in mind that, um, you know, making the most opportunity, making the most out of the opportunity, um, because I was, I was able to, you know, again, keeping in mind that, it wasn't, you know, for a lot of people, there was, there was, it was no bright side to the situation. You know, right. it's, you know, I was operating not under any false pretense that like, hey world, this is great. We can all, you know, do our own thing now. And right. it's like, that that was not the case for a majority of people, you yeah. know? I mean, I was, you know, I had just come back from tour. I had a little bit of money saved up and Ab, you know, I'm, uh, we're a dual income household, you know, mm-hmm. and her work wasn't affected. And, you know, that's not the, that wasn't the case for a lot of people, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, uh, you know, I was able to, and then, you know, kind of piecing things together. I did have a home studio, so I was able to, um, you know, do some remote gigs, some remote recording drum gigs for sure. other people. Yeah. But mostly what I did was I really focused on um, the, the songs that I had set that I kind of pieces of little skeletons of songs that I really kind of decided to sit down and really, um, really dig into yeah, and kind of work on getting to just the next level, um, writing wise. Uh-huh. And, uh, also on the technical side, cause I was also recording everything myself too. Yeah. And I was working with a new program. So I was on a learning curve with a new program and, um, that was as kind of as daunting as that was. That was also that particular program Reaper I used for this to record this. It also opened up some other op- op- uh, opportunities for just making the recording, you know, kind of bigger and and more lavish than I have other other recordings. Yeah, yeah. So I just dug in. I mean, basically from March until um, uh, until October, November, you know, uh, kind of halfway through the year, Abby. Oh, and I don't know if we, we, we touched on this, but what brought me to Atlanta was another job, uh, 
opportunity that that Abby had. Right. That Abby has. She had a new work opportunity here that she started looking into in like the middle of last year that became, you know, that was confirmed in, you know, maybe September or so towards you know of last year. Oh wow, yeah. So that kind of put a deadline, you know, whatever I was working on. Sure. I thought, you know, I need to finish this. You know, I could always pick up recording where you know, when I get back when I get to where I'm going. Right. But who knows what that's gonna sound like. Who knows what like. that's gonna sound like. Exactly. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I'm on a deadline. I got to finish these songs, um, which was helpful. As you you know, as you know, uh, you know, having a project is great, but having a deadline is even better. Yeah, I'm it. the same way. I am not much of a self-starter. Like when somebody comes to me and is like, "Hey, Zach, do a thing," I'm like, "Absolutely, let's get on it right now." Yeah. But, uh, otherwise, I'm just like, well. Uh, Get, I do some do some yard work today. I exactly. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> I could take a couple hours out here. I could get to you know. So having the deadline really helped. Um, you know, knowing that. Um, and you know, kind of decided the studio will be like the last room I take apart. You know, to yeah, like have yeah, as yeah. much time up there. So so pretty much from March of last year, you know, March 2020 up until like November 2020, I was just recording. You know, every day, just kind of chipping away at this stuff. Wow. And. Um, and so in the recording process, yeah. like, did you have like specific set ideas about what these songs were going to be or, and you were sort of like chasing that and, and, uh, like you said, chipping away at it, or mm. was it more a process of, uh, like you, you kind of entered the process, not knowing what the result was going to be. And along the way it became clear a little bit of both. I had, it was, I had a, the sketches of, of some songs, um, but it was it was mostly a discovery process. Like I said, you know, kind of getting to a next level and trying some different things. Up until this point, you know, writing mostly consisted of sitting down with an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and writing a song, which is you know, which is great. This I kind of I kind of I was kind of experimenting with this before, but really kind of did it with all the songs on this was kind of like writing, kind of like slow, uh, slow composing. You know, like writing mm-hmm. as I went along, like writing using the the computer as an instrument you know mm-hmm. as far as like you know putting ideas down and moving them around and um you know nothing there was no like you know three minute song that i had written on a guitar and then just you know like i didn't have demo versions of the right, songs right i was like demoing you know everything started as like a demo process uh-huh. um and that was fun and i think th- and and one of the fun things of songwriting for me is especially in in with this method is kind of letting the song you know similar to you know moving somewhere and letting a place inform you letting the song kind of lead you you mm-hmm. know taking the initiative to start it but then being open to what the song needs or where it wants to go right rather than kind of being so heavy hand heavy handed was like with like a you know an four bar intro and an eight bar you know just kind of being a little more fluid with it yeah. which i was able to do with these songs and um i was really kind of um you know pleasantly surprised most of the time so what didn't you do on this record like i think the <laughs> i think the the list of roles that you played is way longer than the you know the list that you didn't is there anything that anybody else touched or was this all you the only thing i didn't do um was I didn't master it. Okay. A friend of mine in Memphis named Matt Qualls did a great job mastering it. Um, yeah, but other than that, I recorded it. I played everything on it. I mixed it. Um, 
and um, the, the cover art. I did the cover art. I'm working with a label called. You the did Qu- the cover art. Yeah, the, the Jesus man. Yeah, the picture I took. One of my big things. One of one of the big things that I like to do on when I when I travel and touring is like, uh, you know, uh, photography. You know, oh yeah, taking pictures. Yeah. I mean, anywhere, but particularly when I'm traveling, I really like to take pictures. So did you a- talk about that with Justin Chazarek when you saw him the other day? No, he's he is like a a semi pro photographer oh, yeah? at this point. Yeah, like okay. he's super into it. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, another dr- another great drummer, uh, a drummer friend of mine, Carter McLean. Um. He's also like a great photographer. He was doing, uh, I'm sure he just still does uh, photography, but um, yeah, love photography. So that was one of um, a, a picture that I took on the road mm-hmm. that I kind of, that after I took it, or even when I saw it, and this is a couple years ago, this is three or four years ago that I took it. In the back of my mind, I was thinking that would make a good, uh, it would make a good album cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the name, you know, Dweller, that kind of came to me and just kind of like, the the meanings of the you know dweller as in like dwelling and being locked down when i was making the record and like right. dwelling on things and so that, you know yeah yeah so yeah cover did the cover art and um working with a label called declared goods out of brooklyn um who've been great and kind of you know helping me get it out there but yeah i did everything so recorded it all in memphis and then once i got the home studio set up in atlanta then I set out to mixing it, which was another kind of interesting like discovery process. You know, I'd been away from the tunes for a couple months. Yeah, yeah. And I opened them up thinking that, okay, cool, I could start mixing and which I did, but also there was like a good amount of like rearranging that I did uh, yeah. um during the during the mix process. I didn't I didn't re-record anything, mm-hmm. but I there was definitely uh there was still like molding that I did, you know, some uh, some additional like sculpting of the songs that I did. Right. Which was great, which which is um you know, I don't think would have happened if I went right from recording to the mixing phase. Right. You know, I was able to have like a little bit more of an objective point of view on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just getting more into the mixing world. I mean, that's a whole nother, uh, uh, you know, like fascinating world of, uh, especially now, you know, on YouTube and things. And when you, when, when you can hear, um, you know, raw tracks of classic recordings or, you know, hear what things sounded like before, there they became the recordings that you're used to hearing right just realizing what a huge part of the recording process mixing is you know yeah it's man my brain is turning into tofu just trying to get good drum mixes yeah you know and just like mixing a whole song or a whole record it's, it's unfathomable to me at this point but um it's 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 cool what you said about like you you know on youtube or wherever else you can hear isolated tracks yeah. and, and what they were before they became the thing. But since I've been doing more recording and, and a little bit of mixing in here um, with a lot of uh, songs that I hear, whether they're new to me or old or, or whatever, like I'm, I'm starting to be able to hear like the, the, the organic yeah. sound, like the, you know, the handmade, like that's what those drums sounded like in this room. Yep. As opposed to like that that part of the total package, like the sheeny sort yeah. of, um, you know, I think my my ears are starting to pick up on like um, the imperfections. Yes, yeah, yeah, and and just how it's it, it's you know acoustic sound done by people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and what and and what a different thing it is to hear something in isolation versus with a whole you know with a whole uh, kind of production. Right, and. Um, you know, listening to, and this is beyond, you know, um, 
this is just in reference to like, you know, mixing a song, EQing, reverb, you know, maybe distortion on something, you know, and I'm not even talking about like auto tune and things like that, you know, the things that you can kind of like completely redo. Right. Um, uh, or really enhance. Um, but particularly, you know, uh, vocals are something that I, that I feel is, you know, something that I, um, is, that's the thing that I came into the latest, you know, obviously I've been drumming for a long time been playing guitar for a while, but vocals is kind of, you know, even though I've done for a couple of records, like it's still a pretty new thing in figuring out, you know, how, what my voice is and how to use my voice. Right. Um, and when I'm recording, I, I do, you know, I'll usually take uh, like comp tracks. I mean, sometimes I'll have like a complete take, but you know, I'm usually putting things together from, you know, kind of like compiling a, a complete take. Um, and I've been, uh, um, you know, I don't do any like tuning or anything on my voice, you know, mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Yeah. One is just something that I don't want to like, um, I'm not opposed to it, yeah. you know, it works great. And, and, you know, I'm not like an anti, you know, plugin or whatever person, right. but it's, I don't want to like take the time to learn it. And, um, just kind of aesthetically, I'd rather have those, you know, kind of like imperfections be there. Totally. Like your, your music, uh, I don't think your music and your voice, uh, lend themselves well to each other. And, uh, they, they, they would not lend themselves well to auto tune. Like auto tune doesn't lend itself well to just how your music sounds. Yeah. It's more raw than that. Yeah. It's more, um, I, I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of a, another adjective, but like, even though there's some, there are definitely some electronic sounds in there. Yeah. It, like, it it has like kind of an edge. It has a little bit of punk, handmade, yeah, yeah, uh, edge to it that yeah. I think that would fuck up. And that's why, and you know, when I'm recording stuff, and you know, I'm I'm always for going for the take, and you know, there's there's always a lot to be said for something that's not too, uh, um, you know, not too overly thought out, right. But, um, you know, when I'm recording and, you know, doing a guitar pass or something, uh, you know, I don't necessarily mind doing something over and over again, you know, like, cause like whatever my version of perfect is or anybody's version of perfect for that matter, like it's not going to be perfect. Right. You know, like I don't have any, um, you know, I could go, I could strive for that perfection as much as I want, but like being confident in the fact that it's still not going to sound that way. You know, it'll still sound like me. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, and the fact that you like, especially I think on the drums, um, you know, what we were talking about earlier about um, like playing kind of dirty. Yeah. Um, and so I, there, there've been times when I've been in here um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ditch a take because of some perceived imperfection yeah. in my playing. But then like the other side of it is like, well, do you want this to sound like a human drummer or not? Yeah. You know, like, there's there's only one J.R. Robinson. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and the rest of us are just mere mortals. Yeah. So. <laughs> and there's always so much, there's, the, the, the difference between, you know, hearing it while you're playing it and then the playback. Right. You know, something that you think uh, is kind of funky or, you know, kind of throwaway. You listen back to it and it's like, oh, that's dope. Right, <laughs> you know, right, it's really right. like, that little like glitch or whatever yeah. is actually pretty badass. Yeah. Like I couldn't have, I couldn't have done that intentionally. You know, when there's a deal breaker, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> but, totally. but you're right. There's a lot of takes that like you just keep going, and you're like, well, we'll just see about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, oh, and then back, you know, listening to raw tracks on things, uh, you know, in isolated tracks, you know, you hear. Uh, 
you know, and I'm not putting myself in the same world of any of these people, but it's like, you know, you listen to uh, whatever. I was listening to like an isolated, you know, Sting bass track mm-hmm. or like, a, you know, like some classic, like a Bonham drum track or like a, uh, you know, Freddie Mercury vocal track. And it's like, none of those things are perfect. Right, you know? right. None of those they things are perfect. They feel fucking great. Yeah. They sound yep. so good, but yeah. they're not, they're not mechanically perfect. No. And, and then when you, you know, you, when you mix those things with every, not, not like the art of mixing, but when you combine those things with the full picture, yeah. it's like, oh, that's why this is great because they're not perfect. Right. You know? Um, so yeah, so I did everything on, on the EP and, uh, and came out, uh, about a, about a week ago and, um, it's been, uh, it's been fun. It's been getting, it's been getting some good, uh, some really good feedback. Yeah. So like, what, what is your, what is your goal with this music? Do, like, do you want to get it placed? Do you want to play it live? Do you want, what, what's next now that it's out in the world? Yeah. What's next is ideally it would be nice to play some, uh, for performances, some live band performances yeah. of it. And, you know, as I mentioned before, Previously, most of my songwriting has been done, you know, me sitting down with an acoustic guitar and playing, which is great. And that really lends itself to being able to um, play out by myself, you know, do solo acoustic shows, which I was doing a lot of um, from, I say, 2015 to, you know, uh, the past five years, you know, before from 2015 to 2020, um, I was booking a lot of tours for myself, just solo acoustic tours, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, going around the country, you know, doing East coast stuff or Midwest or, or, you know, a couple weeks at a time, maybe doing, um, you know, maybe like 80 ish shows a year. Um, wow. Yeah. Which was a lot of fun. You know, I'd book the shows and, you know, route the, you know, route the tours and Mm -hmm. just get into a car by myself and, uh, it was great. It was, um, it's fun, you know, obviously an invaluable experience to play every night and to play at a different place and, um, traveling wise and photography wise was great. Yeah. Um, that, you know, these songs on this EP, I'm sure there's kind of acoustic renditions I could do of these songs, Mm -hmm. but I think they would be much more, um, they, they just kind of lend themselves more to the, to the full band production as they're, as, as they've been presented on the recording. Yeah. So it'd be nice to get some, get some players together. Um, for some shows and also, you know, doing, being able to do solo acoustic tours is great. Um, you know, I could do for extended periods of time. That's difficult to do with a band, particularly for somebody starting out yeah. you know, to pay a band so much of that stuff. is just out of pocket. Yeah. You know, I could do a solo acoustic tour and break even and usually kind of come home with money too, right. you know, right. which is usually not the case with a, with a full band again, starting off. So playing some shows, um, yeah, placements would be great. Um, you know, kind of sync licensing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and just kind of writing more and um and uh one of the things I did in 2019, I did some uh opening slots, solo acoustic things. I went over to the UK, the uh the fellow Jesse Mallon that I mentioned earlier who I played drums with. Mm-hmm. He invited me for to open up for him for a week of shows in the UK which was great. Yeah. I'd love to do more of that. I'd love to do some more, obviously, you know, touring and international stuff, but, um, you know, getting into some, in front of some, some newer audiences, you know, opening up for some other artists. Right. I think would be, it was some, some good, uh, exposure outreach, you know? And I would imagine that, you know, apart from, uh, whatever, uh, outcomes can, can come of these songs now that they're released, 
you know, a, a major part of uh, the point of doing it was the process because yeah. like, you, you know, you mentioned how much you learned, how much you went through just in the process of creating this stuff. So now like your, your whole songwriting and music creating process has like more arms. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's, you know, reached other, you know, reached kind of another level, I think, you know, personally and, um, writing songs and play you know the few times that I, i've I, in memphis i did a couple of uh did like a record release show and a couple of festival things in memphis where i did have a you know work with a full band mm -hmm. um you know me playing guitar and singing i was gonna ask then, so like did you play drums during that or no you, you i played were, guitar you the front man yeah, so, front yeah, man. yeah cool uh, which was fun. Uh, one gig a couple gigs i did my friend george slepic played drums uh one gig uh another great drummer in memphis named danny banks played drums with me um and those are fun and being, being as, and, and the, those things kind of inform each other, like writing songs kind of informs my, I think it makes me a more sympathetic drummer when I'm working with other people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, as, just, you know, musically, personally, you know, personally, and, you know, band leaders have so much stuff d going on, not, you know, for, even for a gig, but particularly for a tour, it's like the last yeah. thing. As, and as you know, it's like the, the personality plays such a part in what we do, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, but such a big part in what we do. But what like I've, I've become more attuned to this over the years, like what songwriters and front people in general, like the amount of shit that they're juggling. Oh, dude. Is just in it's unfathomable yeah to me because like there's there's the business end right? right like they're the face of the whole thing they're you know some of them are like very diy and they're the point of contact and others you know they're the point of contact for management or right. booking or whoever so they're dealing with all that shit and then there's the aspect of like they have to be the front person at the show right like <laughs> <laughs> that takes a huge yeah. amount of energy and spiritual capital. And then there's just like the vulnerability of like writing a song and opening your mouth yeah. and singing it. Yep. Like that's none of that I think is on most side people's radar in any way. And those, you know, singer songwriters and front people, they do it because they're cut out for it. Yeah. Right. We do, we do what we do because we're not cut out for that, <laughs> but you're, you're crossing over. Well, and, <laughs> You know, so yeah, like all those things, like a front person, it's like, you know, they're the front, they're putting on the show, they're the face, you know, they're not just performing, they're doing, you know, their press stuff, they're dealing with management, or like you said, they're doing it themselves. Right, they're spending their set breaks selling merch. Yeah, selling merch. And like merch, smiling people. to people they don't give it. I mean, they, it's, they do give a shit about them, but just like. They might want to be able to just relax for right, a second, you know? Right. So dealing with all this stuff, you know, the last thing they want to deal with probably is the drummer who didn't learn that one song, you know? It's like, I right. did everything except this one. It's like, and you know, again, most people aren't going to like, you know, have a conniption fit maybe internally but it's like you know the last thing they want to do is think about basically anything other than like their their like their north star you yeah. know yeah so you know like i said the, the best word i can think of is like it's made me more sympathetic and more like sensitive as yeah. a not just like sensitive as a drummer behind you know behind the drums but just you know to work with wise right and and you know you can we all want to sort of like um get noticed or get a pat on the head from our boss either musically or personally and that can lead us i think sometimes into just like try hard territory 
where you become a burden to yeah. someone like that and you get noticed in the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't come from a bad place, but just like that it, it's it's taught me to just like, you know, know know when to just lay in the cut. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you're not getting, you know, if you're not getting enough attention, it's probably a good thing, you know, like as a side man, <laughs> right, you know, right. if you don't feel like you're being paid to attention to enough, be probably be happy with that, yep. you know? <laughs> well, man, I really appreciate you coming over. It was great talking to you. You are the first in-person interview I have done since before the pandemic. Wow. And, and you made it, you made it, uh, <laughs> you reminded me why it's great. <laughs> well, thanks, man. Working Drummers Podcast, you guys are doing a great thing, and I'm glad it's uh, you started and it's come along this far. And uh, I really appreciate it. Again, shout out to Mark Stepro for for connecting us, yeah, and yeah. thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, introducing me to the community here in Atlanta and your podcast and beyond. And uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and, yeah. My my new EP is out. You could find everything stephenchopek.com. Mm-hmm. All the all the latest info and music and link to socials and everything is up there. And as I mentioned earlier, you know the travel photography stuff is up there. And I've been working on this other project called uh, Backstage Archive, which um, way back in the day before smartphones. Yeah, I've been seeing this on Instagram. Right? Yeah, just kind of like yeah. I had I would always have a disposable cameras with me. Oh wow! And cool. back in the day, I kind of got a lot of them developed, but also just kind of shelved a bunch and, you know, keep kept them in storage and only recently developed whatever, man, you know, 15-year-old film. Right. And, I would imagine that's like the iPhone mic of photography. Like, you go back through it oh, and yeah. it's like, oh, shit, this is a really great picture. <laughs> yeah, totally. And some of them are a little, you know, like, the it's first of all, it's film, it's disposable camera film, and it's like aged film. So some <laughs> of the, you know, a lot of the photos are, you know, just uh, conceptually and, and just not that great. And some have been affected by age, but there's some fun ones up there. So backstage arc, all that stuff. You can find Stephen Cool. And, and the record is on Spotify and is it on Apple music as well? Apple mm-hmm. music, Spotify, Bandcamp, my website, you everywhere stream. I got to say CDs. If you want a CD, you could buy a CD. You could purchase a download. You could stream it. You could listen to it for free. It's out there. Awesome. Well, man, uh, good luck with it. I'm, I'm sure it's going to do good stuff. I look forward to hearing it live. Um, and you know, uh, any drummers, so, I don't. I <laughs> Sorry, don't. man. I just, I'll ask around for you. <laughs> this is like with you with John Mayer. Like, I'll get you some numbers. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'll not get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, man, good luck in Atlanta. I'm sure we'll be hanging quite a bit and, and drinking and listening and meeting and hanging. Looking forward to it. Right on. There you go. Steven Chopek. Look forward to seeing and hearing more of him around Atlanta. Check out his new record, Dweller, wherever you get music, and check out our Patreon page to hear him talking about recording the song We Still Know from that EP. Next week, Matt Krause will be bringing you his interview with Joe McCarthy. He is a drummer, educator, producer, Latin Grammy winner, and leader of the New York Afro-Bop Alliance Big Band. Lots to dig into there. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, get vaxxed, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.